This is Michael Leary with More Than Meets the IRB, a conversation about research participants and the people who study them. More Than Meets the IRB is a joint initiative of Washington University in St. Louis and public responsibility in medicine and research. Primer advances the highest ethical standards in the conduct of biomedical, behavioral, and social science research. Primer accomplishes this mission through education, membership services, professional certification, public policy initiatives, and community building. The Ebola crisis reached an apex in the fall of 2014. It was the largest recorded outbreak of Ebola, leading to many thousands of deaths and devastating the economies and healthcare systems of several West African countries. It quickly became a flashpoint for scientific research on Ebola. Researchers conducted clinical research on Ebola treatments. Large amounts of human tissue samples and data were collected. In the aftermath of this crisis, the ethics of some of these activities have been questioned. Aminu Yakubu provides first-hand background to a few of these questions and proposes a concept of trust as a key ethic in the IRB review of research in transnational contexts. Today we have with us Aminu Yakubu. Aminu is Principal Health Research Officer with the Federal Ministry of Health in Nigeria. He also works as the Administrative Officer to the National Health Research Ethics Committee of Nigeria. He is a member of the H3 Africa Ethics Working Group, the Global Emerging Pathogens Treatment Consortium, and a University of California, Irvine, great collaborator. First question to start with, let's talk generally. Uh, We speak a great deal about having become a global society, especially in the biomedical sciences. And a lot of what we talk about in contemporary research ethics has to do with the practice of research, not just in the U.S. or Europe, but in multiple locations at the same time. But in your experience, how global is the practice of research? Or is becoming global in the practice of research a virtue that we should pursue? So that's a very interesting question. And um, I think for me, in, in um, I'm beginning to think people are talking too much about it, but it's actually you can never talk too much about it. The recent Ebola epidemic is really a, a case at sight that we can use to respond to this. And, and looking at that, Ebola all of a sudden became a global concern and really the drive to find a cure for or a treatment actually not a cure for Ebola became really a, also a global concern and yes. all of a sudden and interestingly you found a number of stakeholders from the United States from Canada from the UK all talking about the same thing which is how can we find either a treatment for Ebola or a vaccine against Ebola and and indeed some of the countries because even in Nigeria where I come from there there was in fact a session of all scientists that are Nigerians to think about what is it we can do locally to find a cure some form of remedy against Ebola and and, and I think that is something that a number of African countries would have also um, uh, taken as a priority, if not probably for some challenges of probably funding and and maybe some other challenges of um, uh, the priority attached to to research. 
so but i do think research uh, uh, is a global thing and it's some is 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 really a global virtue that all of us need to uh, take into consideration however having said that we are all aware of the 1090 gap yes which is that um the world part of the world that has uh, 90% of the you know burden of diseases mm-hmm. um only gets just about 10% of the research funding isn't it in in so only 10% of the research funding is put to address the burden of so the 90% is addressing the 10% burden of diseases that yes. is otherwise in in the western countries um there has been a lot of and, and and it's interesting isn't it that the call for the 1090 gap has been since the mexico summit on health research in 2004 to date that gap still remains and you can still count in the literature how many publications there are that are addressing you know diseases of the tropics has the ebola crisis you think changed that gap or brought more awareness to the gap in the scientific community i think it has brought more awareness to the gap uh but i'm afraid that uh it may just stay on ebola yeah that is that is my fear uh because it, people are just talking about ebola alone um people are not talking about other uh tropical diseases and other neglected um uh tropical tropical diseases uh, as it were uh, i mean if you if you look at the tuberculosis for example tuberculosis from my own understanding now is is the disease with the highest burden in the world and for how long have we known about tb yes it's been a very 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 long time mm-hmm. and, and i and i think um uh, by now we shouldn't be talking about you know tb being a global threat uh, we should have been talking about or oh, eradication of tuberculosis in the world you know so i think in as much as um the ebola crisis has brought a lot of awareness and and concern about addressing diseases of the tropics uh, there is a fear that it may just stop there in and and i think they need but it will be important for some global drive to be able to as we say research uh, is global and the yes. health concerns are global uh, that to be able to begin to address um some of these diseases that are affecting some other parts of the world where the burden is highest so if we can speak of it in these terms there might be a potential benefit stemming from the Ebola crisis and that it's raised awareness of this gap and not just in the scientific community but also in public discourse and newspapers and journalism etc however even right now emerging in some of the literature and just in conversation around the Ebola crisis in the scientific community there's talk of some aspects of the research conducted during the Ebola crisis that might uh, be problematic ethically from your perspective can you talk to some of these conversations that we're currently having okay um so there are different there are different aspects of that i think the first critical one which everybody is aware of is the debate about whether we needed to conduct randomized controlled trials for the ebola vaccines or for the ebola treatments and there has been a school of thought that say oh, we we 
RCT is the gold standard. Yes. And there's no yeah. way we cannot do RCT. But there's another school of thought that says under epidemic situations, while if you're considering treatment for Ebola, and there's something there that we think holds some promise for the patients, that uh, doing an RCT may be ethically problematic. Okay. Because of the case fatality associated with Ebola, because of the mistrust that the people in those communities have for the governments, um, in, in, for the government, uh, you know, and also the lack of trust in the ability of the health system to take care of their needs. So that was when at those times you see people running away from quarantine. There were some instance, instances where people were going to clinics and breaking the clinics and taking drugs and commodities out of the clinics. Uh, and I am with the tea, with the, with the thought that says for treatment in cases like that. And, and I think this is also supported partly by the WHO declaration that says you can provide unproven treatment under emergency situations. Yes. And, and, and that so was things that would normally t we would uh, say, test in a research environment can be used clinically. Exactly. It can be used clinically. And so, so those were some of the issues and really some of the partly strongly what people thought about was um, in as much as it's important to find a treatment or a cure for Ebola, uh, due consideration for the political economy and the social economy of the environment where you want to do that research is very important. And what are we talking about when we say that it's making sure that it is done in um, an, uh, in a way that that is appropriate to the setting. So when there is chaos, to go and say you want a randomized yeah. treatment, yeah. you're probably going towards creating more chaos in that environment. But to be able to provide the treatment in a way that people are comfortable and you're saying you're collecting data and then afterwards you would want to look for opportunity to 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 do a more proper randomized trial um was the situation so so i think we uh, that consideration about the political economy and the social economy was very important and people thought that uh and, and it's interesting because there is now a lot of um call for adaptive adaptive trial designs yes in, in, a, in, a I very have complicated and new yeah, emerging discipline. Exactly. So I have attended a number of uh, sessions where uh, uh, there is a lot of debate about how adaptive trial designs could be more ethical to conduct under emergency settings than the gold standard, so-called gold standard yes, randomized clinical trials. And, and the whole idea is with adaptive trial designs, you're in a way making sure that you are putting fewer people at risk and evaluating data on a real time basis, you know, such that when you're able to, 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 to seem to, um, see an outcome that says this works, then, then you quickly stop the trial and make sure you give it, uh, to, to the greater population. Yeah, and there's also a discussion about samples taken 
during uh, the, the yes. Ebola crisis. So, Mike, so that's the second part of it. So I wanted to discuss the 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 challenges first in what people wanted to do in actual research. Now, this other part has to do with general response to Ebola. So this so so this is more like uh, ethical issues related to the response, whereby you have people taking samples out of those countries really with a very good intent to go take them to a lab that has the capacity to analyze these Ebola samples. Because recall that Ebola is a highly pathogenic virus and you require, in the scientific terms, a level four laboratory to analyze. Now, I'm not aware at the time that Ebola broke out in the, in the, in the number of the West African countries uh, affected if there was a single level four laboratory there. And even if there were, there would have been very few to be able to cope with the demands of analyzing the samples yeah. to ensure that, oh, this is truly Ebola and to take the next course of action. So people were really, and I, I, and, and I, I think, I think uh, we've given them benefit of the doubt with a very good intent, taking samples out of those countries to go to analyze them and bring them and bring the results back for action. However, the major concern that the affected countries felt was unethical is the fact that in a number of instances, these samples were taken out without recourse to any government any regulation or any governance institution. Mm -hmm. So a number of um, the samples taken out did not go through any authorization process. Um, there weren't any understanding as to where the samples are being taken to. Um, when you and as to what happens to the samples after the initial analysis of those samples. And maybe justifiably so, the countries or some of the people from those countries affected are saying for future research purposes that it was important that they had access to those samples either for their scientists to be able to work on them or for their scientists to be able to collaborate with other people that probably have more ac access to more resources to do that kind of research to research you know to do the research together in a collaborative fashion but when they do not know where the samples have been taken mm -hmm. to, they do not know the custodians of those samples. They do not know what is happening to the samples, you know, or the leftover samples. Mm -hmm. They felt it was really a breach of their sovereignty as countries. Uh, and, and so these were some of the major concerns that those countries have. And, and a number of them are calling for those samples or for there to be a mechanism whereby those samples will be properly documented, identified and documented, uh, and pro perhaps a process for bringing back those samples to those countries. So I, I, think, I think those countries have a legitimate claim as to the fact that they were not properly consulted, you know, and, and I think there, there are issues uh, with having um, scientists taking samples out without recourse to any governance institution in any country, as it were. Yeah, uh, and, but I think... And of course, we have uh, a very 
well-established patterns of governance and policy for the use of samples, for example, collected in the U.S. Or, exactly, or exactly. So even if in those countries that they were taking samples out, there wasn't anything in place, I think they probably had some degree of obligation to replicate uh, what exists in their own countries where they're coming from, you know, in terms of documentation, yes, in terms yeah. of consultation, you know, before the samples were, were taken out. Um, however, as you are aware, probably we are, we know that WHO is taking the lead to see how these samples can be identified. This will be a very interesting. And what will be done to those samples yeah, in the future. Very interesting story to, to pursue throughout mm -hmm. the upcoming years as it really touches this nerve in the practice of global research that so far has been rather theoretical, but in this case is, is very, uh, specific and uh, very related to participant experiences in these cases. I raise that because it, you've spoken well about this crisis in both uh, research design terms and the way that research is implemented during emergency contexts, but also this very clear case of a failure in respect for persons and a collection of and use of samples. And in that, I've heard the word trust several times. I've heard you speak in a presentation of trust as something that needs to be incorporated in research practices. Can you talk more about what trust is? It's a bit of a nebulous concept. It's not, in U.S. terms, uh, a word that we use frequently in the research ethical context. What, what is trust? What does it mean in this case? Okay, so this is the way I see it. And, 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 and I'll add another word, trustworthiness. Okay. So it's related to trust. But trust is what people confer on you, either as an institution that has come to those countries to do research or as an individual researcher or public health respondent that has come to those countries. But what do you do to earn the trust? I think that's about, that talks about the trustworthiness of either the individual or the institution to which the individual belongs to. And, and so these are, I think, interrelated. So uh, uh, in as much as um, for continuity, for there to be a truly global research environment, we need to arrive at a situation whereby the participants or the communities that we involve in research or the communities in which we go into for a public health response have a trust that we are really there for the greater good and not for exploitation. And what do we do to earn that? And that's yes, about indeed. the part of the trustworthiness. And I think what we need to do to, to earn that, I think, is a number of things. And the first has to do with respect and for the role of the state. So whenever we go to a certain country to do a certain kind of work, we need to be able to look at the regulations in those states and to see, uh, make as much effort as possible to comply with those uh, rules and regulations. And so that's given adequate uh, recognition and respect for the role of the state in the process. And the second part has to do with the role of the community. So if there are certain communities and there are certain things that those communities 
uh, uh, hold dear to them and maybe in the course of the action there might be a need to do some things that are otherwise contradictory to some of the things that those communities hold dearly. We have to find a process, a mechanism to ensure that we do those things in a way that the community understands that it is for the greater good and not just to break them and it will be something that is temporary uh, without necessarily abolishing uh, you know some of those things as it were. Do you have an example of an of an occasion in which you've seen that happen or negative or positive? Hmm. So 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 some of the things uh, and this is this is something general isn't it the issue about um uh, washing the dead. Yes. It's something that in those communities people hold strongly and it was very difficult for people to to understand that uh, for their protection and the protection of their generations to come they needed to stop that for a while until the Ebola epidemic was over you know before they continue to do these things and um, you would see that initially that was the major challenge you know, in, in getting the Ebola cases to come down until the uh, the governments in those countries were properly engaged and sensitized and then they were used along with the community leaders to also sensitize the people in the communities. We didn't make much headway in those things. And I think this clearly buttresses the importance of making sure we engage with the communities to educate them and stuff like that. However, um, one other question we had discussed um, in some of our circles is at what point in time do you then build this trust? Because when the emergencies come, the time is usually very, very limited for yes. you to take actions. Yeah. So I think that's a question that 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 uh, is out there and we need to really find ways of making sure we have these systems that are already, um, you know, that we can, we can, we can piggyback on whenever um, uh, emergencies strike in the in the in the future. Yeah, because trust isn't something that we can purchase or simply create. It's no. something that we build over time. Exactly. And then the research ethics enterprise, any aspect of the review process we're part of, could be part of a trust building process Certainly. at the same time. Certainly. Not just in local context, but especially in global research. In the global research, exactly. Very much so. And, and I think it's, it's the issue of, again, um, in making sure that uh, in as much as we understand some global research ethics principles, um, when we go to different settings, we have to find uh, if there are some local nuances to which we have to uh, that, that we have to address, we have to look at and address them even as we know that there are some global principles. And, and, and so, for example, um, um, as, as a greater part of the research ethics uh, talks about autonomy. Interestingly, the, the revisions to the common rule also lays a lot of emphasis on autonomy of the individual. They really do. Exactly. Um, now, um, I haven't done, and, and this is a this is this is a declaration I need to make. I am I, not claiming that I have done a lot of research on whether 
uh, autonomy is an issue of serious importance to the individual in a number of African countries. But what I sure do know, and which is what a lot of scientists that are working in Africa are talking about, is that it is a system where people rely on others before they make their final determination on any action they wish to take in life, including participating, participation in research, including, in fact, uh, seeking healthcare. You know, uh, a number of people would want to ask if they should go to a hospital or not, and if the other significant partner says no, they don't. So, in some respect, we're always speaking of trust, regardless of what principle, the Belmont Report, we're emphasizing exactly. in a conversation. Exactly. This has been More Than Meets the IRB. Thank you for joining us. We will see you next time.